Doug and Marty versus the World is sponsored and paid for by Marty McClendon, Doug Bassler, and EasyTVSpots.com. Round one, go. Hey, 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 how's it going? Doug and Marty versus the world is on the air. Marty, I have a request. You have a request? What's that? When I get old and senile, do not let me be president of the United States. So the first question is, when you get old and senile? Okay. If I ever get old and senile. Oh, oh, okay, there we go. I want you to make sure that no one, my family or anybody, Doug, Doug gave me a request when he had his brain. Not to let him be president if he gets like he is right now. Or what oh my I gosh. mean, brother. Well, anyway, this is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon. This is Doug and Marty versus the world. We appreciate you tuning in all across the ACN network. And yes, we're talking about the president of the United States, the POTUS, if you will. We don't know how he got there. We don't know. He doesn't know why he's there. In fact, they showed an old video when he was getting his booster shot. He says, why are we doing this on the stage? You know, said, why am I getting this? So he doesn't even know what's going on. So on that, I just want to say one thing about this. We I know we have guests today, brother. Did you see the pictures of his cheat sheet, the notes he had at the press conference? Because he went out on the national stage out in Poland and gave his speech, and it sounded very patriotic, except he made a lot of mistakes, right? So then they had to roll it back, and then he had said, I'm not taking anything back. But the cheat sheet actually says, tough questions on Ukraine, tough questions on this. No, I didn't say this. No, I didn't, whatever, in big, bold letters. And they got photos of this. And even the cheat sheet, he couldn't follow directly. So it says, I didn't, and he, you know, he said it did. So what do you think about that? So here's, a, here's someone who's obviously being directed. Now, we know there's speechwriters for all presidents. We know that there's activities like this. But in this case, here's a guy who literally is let out, is told who he can talk to, when he can talk to him, and who, can, who's, who he can ask questions to. And then he has prescripted answers for which is actually not that uncommon for a lot of the Democrat political candidates that I've seen over the years. What do you think, brother? Yeah, I I just, it's almost to the point now where um, we really need to do something. I mean, there's been talk of the 25th, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, people are talking Mm -hmm. about it and, and they were talking about with Trump, but it's like, yeah, he keeps like outsmarting them. So obviously he's not got problems in that direction, but um, uh, I know. Brother, I, I, I'd say, I'd like, whatever. Can we the, the, please just get back to having grownups in charge of America? That's all I yeah. want to know. Well, yeah. And the, how many grownups are there? So we need business leaders. We need people like a Trump or others like back in office where we just actually get things done. We need a strong legislature, meaning the strong Congress and Senate that actually understands and actually does the will of the people. We've got this whole mess now where these career politicians are there working with the industrial complex, meaning the the, the administrative state, if you will, where um, they really have no control. They, they wait them out because you'll get, you'll get elected next time, right? Or not get elected next time. The next person will be in here. We run the show. At the federal and state level, we need leaders to go in and pull back a lot of this power from the administrative state, from these, from these bureaucracies at the state level and the federal level that have rules writing and authority that basically work around Congress and the president. And so you have a lot of these showboats or uh, speeches that have no power, you know? So we need like yourself and our guests here shortly to go in there and actually have a backbone and do what's right. It's like Carol Swain said at the Roanoke conference this last uh, January in um, Ocean Shores, Washington. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, they say there's going to be a red wave and all this stuff and the Republicans are going to take control of Congress. She's like, so what? 
if they don't do anything, then what good does it do it and uh, do us? And so, you know, I'm I'm with that. And so I'm really excited about our our first guest today. Actually, both of our guests today are great, but our first yes. guest is actually running for United States Congress in Washington State's fourth district, and uh, and he's up against giants. Uh, but uh, I've known Jared uh, Sessler uh, for uh, quite a while now, and I've had a chance to really to spend some time with him. And I know this is a guy, he's a business, he's a business guy, he's a family guy, he's a Christian, and um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's the type of person you're talking about. He's the kind yes. of guy that we know will go there and not just take it. He'll, he'll, he knows how to get things done. He's a, you know, he's a, he's from business. He's not a career politician. So Jared Sessler, welcome to Doug and Marty versus the world brother. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, but it's <laughs> not Doug and Marty versus the world. It's Doug and Marty versus the wacko world because most of the world <laughs> is actually with you and for you. I like that as well, but you're right. There are probably more of us than there are of them. Thinking about, uh, changing, some, the thinking about changing the name, Marty? I like it. Uh, kinda, there you go, right? But you think about this, uh, Jared, you made a good point. Uh, Doug and I have talked about this for years. We feel isolated. As people that are common, go to work, raise your family, focus on things that are important, God, family, and country, you feel like you are the only one because there's so much noise from the small minority that want to dictate our lives, shut us down, mandate this, mandate that, whatever, control our businesses, our lives, our, the education of our kids. And until you start talking to people and speaking out, um, you don't realize that there are a lot of people, the majority of people that agree with what we are, believe in. So it is, it's us together against the wacko world out there. So yeah. that's good. Speak, yeah. Speaking of isolated, imagine how the, uh, Biden crime family leader feels every single day. I can <laughs> I can only imagine what it must be like for his team to have to go on the road with him. You know, it's hard enough to control him when he's just in the White House. But can you imagine taking an overseas trip with him? Uh, yeah, no, and I, I, I'm sure when they talk about handlers, you know, every uh, every big campaign, I'm sure yours is one as well, where you have people, a lot of people involved volunteers, paid staff, and so forth. Uh, some people yeah. would call those handlers. Obviously, uh, the bigger you are, the more uh, you need people to administer stuff. When you're the president of the U.S., you know, United States of America, you have a lot of people that give you advice. You're supposed to be the leader of the free world, though. And we saw that with Trump. We've even seen it with previous presidents. You know, you see that they had a commanding presence. You can tell that they had advice, but when the call came, they made the final call. We don't get yeah. that reassurance now. We get the, the idea that Biden really is being told what to do and where, where to do it. And he's really the figurehead of somebody else that seems to be pulling the strings. And you, you yeah. hate to say that, but that's what it looks like. So um, when, yeah. when George, George W. was president, uh, somebody was asking him about, you know, um, what could happen in the presidency and stuff like that. And he said something that was very disturbing Mm -hmm. uh, back in the early 2000s, he said, well, there's really not a lot I can do from this office. So he was feeling that, you know, the, the bureaucracy or whatever, you know, he never like explained it, but mm -hmm. I think the, the, the way they see the presidency is they can just kind of handle it. It doesn't, you could just get that job and kind of lay back, give speeches, tell jokes, whatever. And the, and the, the executive department is like the other departments it can be kind of run by the bureaucrats. The problem is, you know, when you have the big guy wetting himself and, you know, 
yep. having, you know, other problems that are obvious senility and uh, that type of problem. So as long as a person can function and then you see someone like, uh, you know, probably one of the greatest presidents of our time uh, who gets in there and in just a few short years gets gas down to a couple bucks mm-hmm. and gets the border secure and gets things. And, and so so the office has that availability. To, to be used in a way that can be good, but it also with George W or whatever, you can see how the office can just be kind of like a place to go lay back and maybe, you know, I'm not saying you didn't have some challenges with, uh, you know, 9-11 and all that kind of stuff, but. Well, it's interesting because the the public perception is, is that the, the executive branch, the, you know, the CEO of the country, so to speak, has all this incredible power. But the truth is, if you read the Constitution, the first article is the longest article and the most detailed, and it gives the most power and responsibility, and that goes to Congress. Mm-hmm. And, and specifically the House. Yeah. And, the, and that's by design, right? You don't, you don't really want things to move quickly. And, and in fact, the, the executive branch head the president should be in a bit of a straitjacket you know Mm -hmm. and and uh there ought to be some controls on that at the end of the day that that role does have quite a bit of authority and i think president trump did prove that there that that role can accomplish a ton for the country in positive and and biden is proving that that role can accomplish a lot in in the negative Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, it needs to have some, some framework around it so that ultimately, you know, government, the, the business of government moves slowly so that you, you can't have one administration literally drive the country off of a cliff. Well, and you, the, and this is the problem that we're in right now, Jared, and this is why I'm so glad that you're running is that, you know, we have a, a Congress with barely a majority, right, in the House. What is it, like a five-seat majority? And you have a Senate with a barely a majority uh, in the Senate. And uh, they're handing, you know, Biden all kinds of crazy legislation, right? They're getting it through. When we had uh, Trump in in 2017 mm-hmm. and he had majorities in both the House and the Senate, they wouldn't hand him anything, right? They were yeah. going to repeal and replace Obamacare. They were going to do all these promises that they had, but they yeah, didn't too, do it. Yeah, and so he had of- literally everything he had to do, he had to do through executive action because he couldn't get, you know, we had a bunch of, you know, I hate to say it, rhinos or establishments or whatever. Well, people worried about getting reelected, not worried about doing the work of the people. And that's yeah, where that's if they the actually did something. That's, it's yep. totally Paul Ryan establishment. And that's the yep. reason why we had so much trouble from 2016 to 2018 in, you know, Trump's. And first, then end up losing yep. it and then end up losing right. the guys. So yeah, and then we go back to the authorities. We talked you know, about Trump, reason, yeah. but just about voters. Let me just say this real quick. That is the number one reason why we don't have overwhelming, which there is a lot of people who are registering to vote. A lot more people I think are going to vote conservative than ever have before, even, even here in Washington state. But that's the number one thing that I hear out on the campaign trail is, you know, wh- who cares if you get elected the Republicans never do anything. And, and I'm going blue in the face telling people for the first time in our history, as far as as long as we've been alive, we are going to have an offensive Republican Party in Congress. The establishment is going to have to follow and tow along behind this 
this team on offense. We're going to take that ball. We're not going to just guard ourselves at the 20 yard line. We're picking the ball up and we're running it down the field. And that's what people are going to see. And that's why people are so excited. And that's why people need to get even more excited about supporting good, strong, principled, conservative Republicans in this midterm. I want to talk about two things quickly. Then we'll go back to more of your campaign because I'm really excited about your campaign, the reason you're running and what you're saying. Two examples on different uh, spectrums. Ronald Reagan, a a Republican president who knew how to use the bully pulpit to cast a vision for the nation, a positive vision of American excellence, Uh, a president who expressed strength worldwide, a president who supported our military but had to work with the Democrat Congress but was still able to get things done with the Democrat Congress. Fast forward, now you have a Republican Congress in Newt Gingrich and you have a Democrat president, Bill Clinton, who also knew how to use the bully pulpit to speak to America and take credit for what the Republican Congress was able to do. But they were strong in 94 and Newt Gingrich there to say, we're, we're going to do this, president, with you or without you, so we won't want you with you. And so you, a strong Republican Congress, even if Biden's still in, in presidency, could be successful um, with Republicans that are willing to do the right thing. So uh, that's cool. But you need a president that doesn't, it is focused on the best thing for America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bar, you know, bipartisanism and being able to work together, uh, I think during, uh, you know, I, I would say as far back as, um, you know, 1960 or even earlier, the Democratic Party had done a swing to this sort of democratic socialism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But now that they've, you know, really bought into this government is in charge of everything instead of the people being in charge of everything. Um, you know, I, I love what Ronald Reagan said uh, in his first inaugural address. He said, you know, the government has no power except that which is delegated to it from we the people. And now the government is, is showing signs of going beyond the consent of the governed. Right. And that mm-hmm. was back in 1981. Right. So are we, Jared, seeing a government that's going beyond the consent of the governed? Absolutely. No question. And uh, it's been going on for a lot of years. And I think the the biggest challenge with it is, is that most people don't actually know even what the consent of the government means. They're not, you know, they don't even know what legislative district they live in. They, they don't understand how Congress works. They don't understand the difference between, you know, state representatives and congressional representatives. So there's this, there's this devoid of just general civics understanding. And, and I'll say that I live the probably the first half of my life in that, in that same boat. Uh, but we can't, we're, we're, we're not going to make any ground by beating that drum. We're not going to all of a sudden get people off of their screens or out of their entertainment or off of their addictions or, you know, focused on whatever they're focused on. We have to really look at the landscape of what we've got and we have to work with that, you know, and what, I, one of the things that is encouraging to me is when I look back in history, I think about the revolutionary war, which was an unwinnable war. And somehow, by God's grace, America was birthed, and and only three percent of the population participated in the actual fighting of the Revolutionary War. And you look at it today, and it's like, I think we have more than three percent fighting with us. And so I I feel like we're doing really good. Now, could we be better? For sure. Could but if we spend all day you know, just dwelling on the frustration of the fact that most people aren't standing up instead of just leveraging the people that are, we're, we're not going to make any ground. Right. Uh, Jared, you are a successful businessman, uh, a former race car driver. You know, you, you're 
uh, involved. You're, you're obviously, you know your history and your background. And so tell the listeners, remind them again, first of all, why you're running. You're representing the fourth over there. I want to. Yeah. Now, um, why? And then what will you do? What's your focus when you get there? So I'm, yeah, Jared Sessler. I'm running in Washington's fourth district, congressional district. I'm running against Dan Newhouse, who has lost trust and faith with the voters of, of central Washington because primarily because he voted to impeach president Trump in the midst of uh, some incredible turmoil in the country. He voted for the January 6th commission. He also voted for HR 550, which is a vaccine tracking software that not only costs uh, taxpayers $400 million, but it also takes, takes an enormous amount of uh, their uh, freedom away that it's, that's constant. It's clearly unconstitutional what they're doing with that. So uh, I am married 25 years, three great kids, been in business for over 20 years. I'm a double engineer background. I did used to drive race cars. I leave that to my boys now who are quite good <laughs> at it, in fact, better than I ever was. And uh, I am, I am, I, I like to say it like this. When people like Jared Sessler stand up to run for public office, you know something is really wrong in government. I am a normal guy. And I'm standing up to fight. And this started for me in 2012 when we, we reelected at the time someone who was likely the worst president of our entire history, of course, until now. And I was so numb from that reelection of Obama that I, I decided at that point that, that I needed to get involved. I needed to run for likely Congress. And so that was 10 years ago. And Really, it's been an education. It's been, uh, you know, for me, it's been a lot of life changes and, you know, getting things in order. I, I approached our representative and I, his office. I said, hey, I'm gonna, I want to volunteer here. And when, when Dan Newhouse is ready to retire, I want, I want his endorsement. I want to, I want to come in behind him. And then, you know, things happened over here over this last couple of years, and and uh, I ended up announcing for Congress uh, in March of 2020, uh, so it was, uh, uh, or 2021. So it was, um, a year ago this month and I've been marching at it ever since. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one who is making our representative the most nervous, which he should be because, uh, he, again, Dan Newhouse has lost trust and faith with the voters of central Washington and uh, it's time for a new representative there in, in this in this business as a representative of uh, three quarters of a million people, you do not get a mulligan. You have to be right every single time. And if you're not smart enough to surround yourself with people that are going to give you those answers and make sure that you stay right every single time, then uh, you need to be replaced. We have one of the most conservative districts, uh, Central Washington is uh, about 76 percent conservative. And, and uh, yet our representative is not a part of the conservative caucus, the conservative group in Washington, D.C., because he is not conservative. He votes with the Democrats about 50 percent of the time, and uh, he's just become part of the swamp. And so that's the reason why I'm running for Congress. We have lots of problems in this country. We need people that have a strong voice to go back there who understand the Constitution, to defend that Constitution and be willing to stand up just like you know, Lauren Boebert, who's, who's become a friend and, and Matt Gates as well. I was got to spend some time with Marjorie Taylor Greene a couple of weeks ago, just today I was texting with Thomas Massey 
uh, uh, Paul Gosar, who's a, a warrior mm-hmm. for for the Constitution and for America. These, you know, uh, uh, these are all great people who are standing up, and they need more warriors standing shoulder to shoulder with them on their team. Doug, just like you will be when you go back there, you know, representing Washington's ninth district. And, you know, just to sort of wrap up my comments here on the, in that regard, uh, you know, I am reaching out to and helping representatives, potential representatives or candidates in every single one of the 10 congressional districts in Washington state and working hard to make sure that those candidates and those people get represented by true constitutionalists. And that's not going to stop when I get elected. I'm going to continue to fight for Washington state on the legislative level, school boards, city councils, hospital boards, congressional uh, races. I want to see Washington return to sanity. I want the Washingtonians to be able to be proud to say they're from Washington again. See, I, I love several things you said there. For, for one, um, from history, I, I know Dan uh, uh, actually campaigned on the campaign trail before we've done events together. And I never thought he fit the district as far as his voting, as far as who he was as a person. I was surprised. I remember when he got elected over Clinton Didier over there. And uh, so it's, it's true. You should have a representative that actually uh, reflects the interests and the voting patterns of the district, and which, of course, you would. And the fact that you're a team player, that it matters for the state. When multiple um, congressional uh, elected officials, I'll say Democrats and Republicans, typically say they spend 80% of their time fundraising in D.C. for re-election, it's, it's refreshing to hear that someone that's going to serve the state actually wants to come back to the state, understanding that at every level, these elections are important, that you represent people here, not only in the 4th, but in the state of Washington. So uh, appreciate that. Right, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very important. So we have to stand shoulder to shoulder, especially now. And uh, if there's people listening who are not active civilly, if you're afraid or if you feel like, oh, boy, there's what can I do? You know, there is so much that you can do. Literally 50% of our PCO slots, which are, you know, uh, they're, they're the most important political representatives in the state. They fill these precincts, this small little district's around the state and we need every single one of those to be filled with good principled Republican Americans. I want to dig a little bit deeper in that. I won't spend too much time, but it's about your campaign and about our candidates on, on the call today on the radio show. But we talk about PCOs a lot and we, Doug and I have mentioned this and about getting engaged, but it is an elected efficient uh, a position. So you as a citizen of the state of Washington, can, can uh, run for office as a PCO, a precinct committee officer, meaning your neighborhood for either party, Democrat or Republican, and you are the official representative for your neighborhood about Republican activities. You uh, get to vote for party leadership at the local level, at the county level. You get involved at the state level as well. But beyond that, you have the authority, to, you're a committee officer, to form a committee in your neighborhood to mobilize people to register to vote, people to vote, give them information. It's a great way to make a difference at the entry level, but you are elected. You're actually on the ballot. So, and that comes up again in May, you can file to be a PCO for the next election cycle. And for now, if you aren't a PCO, you can volunteer to be a precinct captain. So just know that there's places for you to get engaged at a very entry level that makes a huge difference to getting people like Jared elected to Congress. So, right, Doug? PCOs is uh, your first step into a larger world, brother. It's just mm-hmm. like using the force for the first time, brother. 
It's awesome. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I know so many people that never thought about ever doing politics and they got into the PCO and they realized, hey, we can do this. See, that's the thing. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head here. This is this is why a Jared Sessler can come out of the business community and run for Congress. Anybody can do this. That's what our system was designed to do. And they've spent years trying to convince us that you have to have a law degree. You need to be a career politician. You have to have all this sort of insider baseball knowledge in order to, to be in the government. And, and you can't have skeletons in your closet and all that. You know, everybody's got skeletons in their closet. Everybody's got stuff in their background. We, you know, we're humans. And so when you get to be a PCO, that's the first step. Yep. But, you know, when you, uh, the government, and, you know, heard me say this a hundred times, it's, it's supposed to be like jury duty, right? We yep. go, we serve, we come home. It's not that complicated. You know, um, it's like these constitution classes, right? They teach uh, classic college of the constitution, but they never actually read it. They talk about all the decisions and all the this and that, but they never actually, because if you just read the constitution, it says, you know, you're going to be secure in your, 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 you know, you're not going to have mm-hmm. illegal search and seizure and stuff like that. Right. The fifth amendment, you're going to yep. have, uh, you know, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed and stuff like that. It's just like simple. It's not, I will it's, say this. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm quoting my friend Doug here on, on the radio. <laughs> um, he said one, uh, you had a debate one time um, downtown, Adam Smith, and you said that basically the, the mom, stay at home mom has just as much rights and experience to run for Congress and serve in Congress it's, it's, it's as anybody qualified. else. They're qualified. They're, they're qualified. And it's true because it doesn't talk about a, a list. You have to be a certain age to run for office and a citizen. The minimum qualifications. But the point and live is in the state. You want everybody um, to serve, to bring their unique talents and skills. And whenever you hear somebody, oh, they're not qualified to run for office, it's because they want to use it against you in some sort of way. When it comes to the other side, we've seen this multiple times in our state where a Democrat runs, that they throw that out, out the window. Oh, they are passionate about this. They're this or that. It doesn't matter what the qualifications are. It only matters if they want to use it against Republicans. So, no, everybody is qualified if they have called to run for office and they, they want to fight for their district and they can get elected. They're qualified, brother. What they I mean, what they really mean when they say they're not qualified is that they don't agree with them. They don't that's right. They don't talk about the points that they agree with, or maybe they're not unbelievably articulate. You know, you look at somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's, you know, she's from the South. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think she's a smart person, but you know, just like just like President Trump, for example, he's not a, you know, he's not a um, you know, public yeah. speaker. He has not super eloquent or whatever. And, you know, but he, he gets the message across and it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know that oh, some of that stuff is so important. I I've worked with a lot of attorneys through my years and, and um, you know, I'm not, you know, we certainly need a, a, a faction of those type of folks in Congress, but what we need today is more normal people to stand up and say, just raise their hand and say, you know what, I'll, I'll go, I'll take my integrity, I'll take my experience, I'll take my wisdom, and I'll go, I'll go mm-hmm. represent, I'll go, I'll go there and, and listen and learn and make decisions for our people and make sure that our constitution is protected. I'll do that. That's what we need. We need what, a lot yeah. more normal people. And, and beyond yeah, would that, you, yeah. would you be happy, Jared, to serve with some farmers, some ranchers, some That's factory it. workers, yeah. for some, sure, you know, some mechanics, some people yeah, that have, have yeah. live, live life, right? Yeah, what you're talking about is would I would I be happy to serve with people that I feel like I can trust? You know, I I don't yeah. want to serve with a bunch of you know bunch of people that are just 
you know, playing dress up and, and don't really yep. have any, you know, any backbone to your experience to what they're, what they're bringing. I want, I want to serve with real people who care about America, who care about the American experience, who understand and believe in the American dream. Maybe they've got some dirt under their fingernails a time or two, and they understand how hard it is to build a business and to raise a family and to, you know, stay married through trials and struggles and, and to, you know, to, to build a relationship with Jesus and to, you know, to, submit to God, even in the midst of hard times and, you know, people that have actually experienced some things That's right. and that are, that are willing to, to uh, take that to Washington DC and say, okay, how can we, you know, make some macro decisions here to, to help this country run better and to, to get the, the boot of government off of the necks of the small business community and, and, and our people. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we have got an amazing American apparatus that is built that is rather precarious. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is America becomes more complicated with every single day that it exists. It just does. You know, we have massive interactions with other countries that don't have the same values and standards that we do. Those interactions do have an effect on effect on our lives and our business on our businesses and our, our economy and, you know, just the way things go in America. And so you, you need to have thoughtful people that are considerate, that can build relationships, that can listen to experts and, and realize when they're only hearing one side of the story that they're probably not being told the other side purposely. Mm-hmm. And they need to go digging to make sure they can hear both sides before they make a decision. So we need some principled people. We need some people that are are willing and have bent a knee to God and are willing to submit to him because this is not easy. We're facing some serious challenges in this country and we need some people that uh, are willing to submit to God and to uh, to his direction and instruction. I was talking to a friend of mine today and he, and he said, he said, well, what are you going to do when you go to DC? And I said, well, for starters, I'm going to trust God and hope that I do what's right. I love that because the when you talk about the founding of our, our forefathers before the Constitution, even the, the 11 of the 13 colonies had in their state charter, their colony charter, that you had to be a Christian to run for office. But they wanted people of good moral character. So you're talking about people of character, people of conviction that are there to go understand the core values of this nation. But to Doug's point as well, you need people. You you do th- you decide and make um, rulings or, or pass law and legislation on a myriad of different subjects. You cannot be the expert on every subject. So if you have people in Congress that came from a background of engineering, it came from a background of uh, an attorney, came from a background of banking or real estate or farming, they bring an element of experience uh, and expertise to that uh, legislation that actually provides value. And so to, to, on both points, you need people of integrity, good moral character that you can trust to do the right thing. And you need people of expertise of all different walks of life because we're talking about those pieces of legislation actually need that input from people that actually did it. Exactly. So good. Well, Jared, give, you, give your website again. Uh, JaredSessler.com or JaredForCongress.com, J-E-R-R-O-D-F-O-R, Congress.com. Appreciate the support, appreciate your guys' love, and uh, we are going to bring about the great American restoration, whether the leftists and globalists like it or not. Jared ah, Sessler, ah. thank you for being our guest today. God bless you, bro. Thanks, guys. God bless you. Wow. Uh, what a great guy, huh, Marty? 
No, that was great. Okay, yeah. A great interview. Um, I, I've been impressed as he builds his campaign and grows and the work he's been doing and, and what he stands for. I just love it. And the encouragement for our listeners, the citizens, the people, mom and dads, the pops, you know, what costs the state, that, you know, it may be your time. He, he's, he decided, you know, 10 years ago that he's going to run. And he did, right? So, and he's doing it now. I think it's, it's really cool. So, well, let's bring on our next guest. Our next guest actually never really wanted to run for this position, but uh, the best candidates is, are. <laughs> <laughs> but she has run for office before. I actually met her when she was running for Congress in the 10th district. And, brother, she wasn't a Republican at the time, but she's changed and something's happened to her and we've actually had her on the the program before she's the head of we see you uh which has got all these lawsuits uh demanding election audits and election integrity and now she's thrown her hat into the secretary of state for the state of washington race tambourine borelli is with us today tambourine <laughs> doug and marty Hey, Tambourine, so, welcome back to the show, obviously. But Doug, you just said something about throwing the hat in the ring. Tambourine, what type of hat do you throw in? Was it like a sombrero well, or what? I was just going to say, I don't know if it's a sombrero or not, <laughs> but uh, it definitely has uh, embroidered on the top, transparent, secure, and publicly verified elections. I know that for sure. Uh, great. So that's big, bold letters, right? Wraps all the way around the head, I'm assuming. Big, so. bold <laughs> letters. Loud and proud, Marty. Loud and proud. <laughs> I love it. So, Doug, you were saying. Well, so my, I've known Tambourine for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, we started working together in 2018. Um, I actually did some some media work for her. She was uh, running as a progressive independent in the 10th district for Congress. And after that election, uh, we both became very interested in election integrity. I think she may have been interested in that before I was. But um, we decided to do some recounts. And so there was uh, four uh, non-Republicans, four Republicans. We got together. We all requested recounts. Uh, we got involved in a big lawsuit. And over that, the course of that time, Tambourine and I became pretty good friends. And then in the middle of that whole situation, uh, she said, hey, uh, I like Donald Trump. I, you know, I think I'm, I've changed. And so I'm like, hey, good. This is awesome. Although I was uh, – <laughs> really thrown back backwards by that, but just um, tell us a little bit about that tambourine. Why did you switch? Well, the interesting thing is that I never was politi politically involved growing up. Our family was not engaged in politics. So I really was ignorant to policy really was just, you know, pretty green uh, as it pertains to um, anything regarding Democrats or Republicans. In 2016, uh, I kind of got lured in by Bernie Sanders' seemingly anti-establishment message. So inspired, and when I am inspired like that, I have a tendency to go all in. So I became a national delegate and I ran for state Senate, even though uh, the party itself, the Democrat Party establishment, had no love for me, <laughs> and <laughs> I really not for them, because, again, I always uh, observed that it seemed to me that establishment uh, politicians would always make the same promises every election season and never really come through 
on their promises. So I was kind of turned off by parties. So um, Bernie Sanders obviously turned out, in my view, to be a sheep herder for the DNC. Mm -hmm. uh, at the national convention, uh, it all turned around then because I was recruited as um, a board member for Election Justice USA. They asked me if I could get to Sanders a hundred page statistical analysis from world renowned statisticians to prove to him that his primary was stolen from Clinton or by Clinton rather. So to my chagrin, he ignored that report. And then uh, having been a delegate, I had uh, the experience of him uh, turning to us, asking us if we would support that he was coming out of the race and, and wanted us to support Clinton. So it was a, a shattering, rude awakening to me. You know, I was there to fight because I certainly did not want Clinton to have the nomination. So uh, that's where I began to kind of turn my attention uh, to the right, uh, slowly but surely. I was very happy when Trump won in 2016. And I began to educate myself on policy. And I, I learned that, uh, as a matter of fact, I wasn't a progressive and that I really was more conservative in, in my true perspective on things. Um, in 2018, I ran as an independent. Uh, I included the Second Amendment in my platform, as well as civil liberties. And I always was very lukewarm in regard to the progressive platform. Like, I never stood for or supported late-term abortion, uh, never supported defund the police, and never, ever spoke in favor of BLM. Uh, so it was very easy then to, in 2020, wholeheartedly um, support Trump and cast my vote for Trump. See, I think this, you're not atypical. You are because you got engaged. You are because you ran, but you got to see behind the scenes. You got to see that, well, hold on. Here's a guy who is adamantly, you know, um, probably got screwed out of the nomination in Bernie Sanders, who had a lot of uh, progressive excited about his, his talking points and so forth. But you saw that uh, flip on a dime that was obviously a deal made or whatever. So now, now support Hillary, who I talked against. And then opening your eyes to like, wait a minute, we are a lot more alike. Uh, we all agree. And oftentimes, if you take off the labels, Democrat, Republican, Independent, and so forth, and talk about safe um, neighborhoods for kids, talk about uh, fair election, which is what you're talking about here, and, and all the issues about being able to, to go out and work and make a living for your family, to, to rise above your current circumstances, those are all things we all agree upon. But they're put in such a political spin that oftentimes people are like, well, I'm, I do this. Well, why? You know, when you start talking about, do you care about this? Do you, do you care about that? Yes, yeah, so do I. So do I. This is, but we have different ways to go about getting things done. What works and what doesn't work. And these policies that oftentimes on a conservative side, um, they work. You know, when you cut taxes, when you cut regulations, you have more business. People's uh, wages go up. You have more, uh, the economy booms, you know, energy independence. Those things all make sense uh, from a light if you take politics sort of out of the way. And so when it comes down Absolutely. to, a, yeah, and so when it comes down to what you're running for, and, and now you've, you've cast your hat in the ring for Secretary of State, which is a big role of the state. It's an executive in the state. Uh, it is not the governor, but you basically run all, um, all business applications, the elections cycle, uh, and more and more. It's a big office. And for eight years or, so, or more, 10 years, 
we had Kim Lyman in there. And now it's been appointed. We have Steve Hobbs filling um, as a Democrat from um, Jay Inslee. It was, uh, Kim got hired by the Biden administration. And so you have an election coming up that's a, that could have a major impact on whether or not we can trust Washington state elections going forward. So talk about this race particular, Tambourine. Yes. So our elections, I would say populist left and populist right, I believe both agree that confidence in elections couldn't be any lower because both sides have experienced knowing that there is something fatally wrong with our system. Mm -hmm. So we have the mail-in voting system, which was incubated here in Washington state. We have the tabulating machines that have been proven uh, to not only be very vulnerable to hacking from outside influence, whether foreign or domestic, but we also have the knowledge that most of these machines that are used in our elections to quote, tabulate our votes have within them a feature, meaning it comes with a program that allows one operator uh, to be able to, uh, with one USB drive, uh, change a weighted race. A weighted race, uh, it was designed for particular elections where say for instance, uh, it's for landowners that, you know, one landowner has more, uh, say, you know, five and a half acres, the other has only two. So the one with more land, their vote will be worth 1.5 instead of one. Uh, that was the reason why this feature was created. But the problem is, is if the feature um, is allowed to be active within a regular race, uh, it is available to someone who may have nefarious intentions on uh, manipulating totals. And if mm -hmm. anyone is interested in seeing how that is done, uh, that video uh, will be available for someone to see. Uh, it actually is, uh, Benny Smith is a programmer and is actually an election official in Tennessee. He discovered this weighted race feature in 2015 and he demonstrates it. I interviewed him last year and he demonstrated it live uh, to show people it actually takes five seconds to do. So it's very horrifying when you watch that and, and understand the implications of that. And so basically Marty, in answer to your question, uh, these things are serious concerns to the integrity of our elections and being the director of Washington Election Integrity Coalition United and being engaged in eight lawsuits across the state, having to sue our election officials just to be able to see and verify the ballots, uh, to be able to verify if indeed the irregularities that we have evidence of is uh, actually what the case is. Is there something fatally wrong here? And if so, then we need to correct them. Uh I would agree. I have a couple of questions for you, a couple of statements and then a question, because this is really important. People oftentimes um, they say, well, we all believe that there's one citizen, one vote. And yet we know there's people that uh, uh, ballots that are cast that aren't citizens. We have ballots that are cast that are people from different states. We have ballots that are cast that we don't know who they are. 
We have a lot of, we have motor voter, which is CMB registration. We have a lot of issues here. And this whole weighted thing, that's a scary thing. That, that throws out the one person, one vote thing. It says, no, no, some, some people's voters are worth more than other people's vote. Most people wouldn't understand that that actually exists or is possible. But then you talk about, well, computers, right? We've been told for years across the state that each county is different. They're not connected to the internet, that the secretary of state and so forth. And yet in the same breath, this year alone, we've in this last this year and last year, the Employment Security Department of Washington State was hacked and $600 million was stolen. And then just last month, the Department of Licensing was hacked and tens of thousands of private records for business owners was stolen. So if you have two statewide systems that are vulnerable, why wouldn't the electronic election system also be vulnerable? You can't have, oh yeah, these are uh, perfectly safe, but these aren't. Uh, so you can't have one without the other. Well, and so without we, transparency, how are yeah. you going to know, right? Even if, right. you know, if they had been hacked, are they going to even say anything, right? Is that is that accurate, Tambourine? So that brings me to uh, the hack that was done the month before the 2020 election. Uh, four state agencies were hacked. The DOR, uh, DSHS, DCYF and WATEC. And WATEC is our state agency in charge of cybersecurity for our elections. And they were hacked. Why that's so interesting, those particular agencies, is that they hold everything needed. The data that was hacked is voter information, meaning name, uh, contact, date of birth, even signature. With that information, based on the infrastructure of our election system, VoteWA, anyone can log on to VoteWA with that information and print out a ballot. Print out your ballot, Marty or Doug. Uh, and then if they were to print out your ballot and if they were to cast that ballot, your ballot, when you finally uh, submitted it, would be rejected. So that's the concern. Uh, there is no chain of custody. Uh, so it's just a, a free for all. It's like Mardi Gras for any bad actor. And the fact that, I mean, it's gross negligence, in my opinion, that those who have run our Washington state elections, it is gross negligence to uh, imply or to actually promote that our elections are the most secure, that mail-in voting is somehow, um, you know, there's no problem with mail-in voting, but in fact, there's no chain of custody. And in chain of custody, if evidence in a court of law loses chain of custody, that evidence is not admissible. So why would our sacred ballot be treated with any less respect? I heard oh, yeah. th there's a meme out there and, and oftentimes memes are a play on the truth because we all get it. That's why we laugh at them and so forth. But the meme says, uh, if you trust the mail-in ballot system so much, put a, put a, a hundred bucks or a cash in an envelope and mail it to yourself and see if you trust it. <laughs> you know, and the point is, is no, right? You wouldn't do that because you're like, it's going to get lost. Someone's going to take it, whatever. If that's true about cash, it's true about your ballot. 
And so, yes, out of convenience, once again, this is one of those things where, the, hey, we'll, we'll make it convenient. We'll pay for the stamp for you to do it. And then most people that don't do it leave it on their our coffee table. And like you said, if someone else votes on your behalf and then you vote, your vote gets rejected, but you don't get notified. You've got to go right. verify if you were voting. And they'll say, yeah, your vote was counted. But you no, know, it, it doesn't not, even say that, Marty. Yeah, it there says accepted. What in yeah, the accepted. world does that mean? What right. was accepted? You don't even know what was accepted. Right. And so once again, transparency. We don't know as voters, right? And then up uh, my vote count. Well, you have to cast one, first of all. But second of all, you want to make sure that your vote actually gets accounted to you. And that's not even the count because they separate them out. And so they can adjudicate as they see fit. You can't challenge the actual ballot. Uh, and then, of course, if you have any problems with it, you have to pay, as you guys did, um, for a recount in some cases. So it just um, there's changes that have to be made. Doesn't matter left, right, middle, whatever. Citizen of Washington State, you should want and know that your your vote and all votes are counted uh, fairly and professionally, and you have a chain of custody, so you know that there's no funny business going on. And that's Correct. what you're. Yes. We should not have to trust. We should be able to verify, and it really is a travesty that we have to sue our election officials in order to verify. In fact, one of my opponents is the defendant. Pierce County Auditor Julie Anderson is a defendant in one of our eight lawsuits. Uh, it should not be. An uh, election official should be eager to accept uh, a question of the integrity and say, yes, let us get to the bottom of this. If there is any evidence of irregularity, they should be the first in line to say, let's join together and find out if there's a problem here, not have to go and get beaten up in court and have sanctions. For instance, uh, we filed a writ of mandamus against Governor Inslee mm -hmm. in his capacity as executive over the Department of Licensing because the Department of Licensing registers non-citizens. Right. We came with the evidence of at least 10 counties, tens of thousands of non-citizens. We had the names of them. We had two counties with names of those who had a ballot accepted in their name as a non-citizen. This mm -hmm. was our concern. And uh, the commissioner there, Commissioner Mitchell, would not allow the case to go to the Supreme Court and the governor uh, had the AG impose almost $30,000 in sanctions against us for the audacity of questioning the governor and uh, having asking him to compel the DOL to stop registering non-citizens. Here's, here's the problem with it. Because non-citizens, as well as people who have moved, dirty voter rolls, dead people, the problem with these things, dirty voter rolls allows a bad actor, or plural, bad actors, to print out phantom fraudulent ballots and stuff uh, the, the race and, and the bottom line of vote totals. That is the problem with that. And mm -hmm. I believe that they use non-citizens and others to be able to do that. So that's the issue with it. I would go one step farther. You said that they should be um, open to, to be transparent. 
But those that are elected um, representatives, those that are elected to the auditor position in every county and into the secretary of state should be on your side as a citizen. If you're not even if you can prove it, say if you have a question about it, there should be a automatic process where they're actually on the offensive saying, yes, we're going to look at it because we want the, this to be transparent. And what we had is just the opposite. At every level in every county, it seems like, at least in the Puget Sound region, and the Secretary of State adamantly against any kind of inspection of our election cycle. You know, Absolutely. Uh, and so what do you think? We, uh, we also have the, um, the issue of having all these undeliverable ballots come back to the post office, say in King County in Seattle or whatever. And there's no transparency. They don't allow anybody to go back and look at what ballots are back. What happens to those ballots? Where do they go? Tambourine? Do you know? You said the undeliverable undeliverable ballots at the post office. And now they're not letting people back there to observe that. What happens to them? Well, see, I believe it's, it's one of the many that I just listed off. All of these have one thing in common, you know, especially say for instance, an undeliverable undeliverable means there's actually not a voter there that is going to be opening that ballot. Right. And so if they have a list of names of undeliverable, that's free open season They're in, in our research, uh, it's those types of registrations that are, uh, open season to be able to be used to print out a ballot, print out a phantom ballot uh, that is not really attached to an actual person. In some cases, it's not an actual person, which is like a phantom. Uh, in other cases, uh, it could be your ballot, your vote that's being used and yours is rejected. So mm -hmm. it, they all have that one thing in common. So tambourine, we are a show and people that are passionate about solutions. You would not be running uh, if you didn't have solutions in mind to fix this problem and the multitude of problems. It's not just one. Where would you start when you got elected? Absolutely. So two things, uh, because as the director of an election integrity uh, group, right, that investigates fraud the question is well if you know there's election fraud why it seems insane that you would run so let me talk to you about the solution uh, that we're bringing to make uh, the fraud um, to kind of discourage any vote shaving from particular candidates so we are about to launch uh, we are slated to launch for this primary in August, something called pre-count. And this is not just for me, it's for any candidate in any race. Uh, initially, we'll probably just start with some congressional races, the Secretary of State. Uh, but the idea is this, that a voter at this point doesn't really know, they can't verify if their vote counted. So imagine that you're able to log on to a site you make a profile, you identify who you are uh, with your ID. Mm -hmm. And if anyone has ever purchased Bitcoin or anything, you get a personal identifier number. Your personal identifier number is solely attached to you. Once you identify who you are within your profile, you'll be able to create an affidavit. An affidavit saying, this is who I am, and this is who I have voted for. 
you will be able to upload a picture of your ballot, which does not violate any absolute secrecy laws because our ballots are de-identified. They cannot be attached to any person. This information solely resides on the voter's profile, which is protected by blockchain. So the idea is this, is that on the front end of an election, voters are able to uh, register for the candidate that they're voting for. After the election, they are able to go on, put in their identifier number, and they will see rows of identifier numbers and theirs is highlighted. For the first time, they'll be able to point at that number and say, that is my vote. And it is included in the total here for this candidate that I have voted for. I love then, it. Right? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. So the this idea is, uh-huh. we, we're going to have to cut in here, but this is uh, one of the many great ideas that Tambourine has. She's running for Secretary of State. Uh, your website, Borelli for SOS, that's B-O-R-R-E-L-L-I, number four, SOS.com, right? That's right. And uh, you're having a big kickoff today, Saturday. It's going to be fun. I'll be there. Uh, we want to encourage everybody, get behind this lady. She knows what she's doing. Well, that's it for today. We got to call it a day. This is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. Take care. God bless.